If you would, turn with me in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. If you've got your Bible or if you're in the app, Galatians is pretty close to the middle of the New Testament, chapter 6. At the end of chapter 5, just giving you context, coming into chapter 6, Paul warns against indulging in sin. He says, look, the works of the flesh are obvious. Here they are. And he lists them out. And he says, look, if you're living in the works of the flesh, you won't inherit the kingdom of God. Like, eternity fellowshipping with God doesn't make sense for someone who has spent their whole life in disunity, in, in disfellowship from God. If, if, if God has saved you, there will be fruit. That's, it's not that your works save you, but when you are saved, the spirit dwelling in you will produce fruit in you. So he says, don't do these things that are the work of the flesh if you're saved. Instead, look for these fruit of the Spirit. Look for the evidence. So that's the end of chapter 5. He said, look, here's, here's the evidence. It's, it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such things, there's no law. Like, this, is, this is the law of Christ. The fruit of the Spirit in your life. So he encourages the church towards this life in the Spirit. So if you look at chapter 6... Here's the main idea of today's text. We show Christ-like love when we correct sin in humility. We show Christ-like love when we correct sin in humility. He, Paul's just finished saying, look, don't live in this life of sin. Rather, live in the Spirit. So church, if we're obeying Christ and we want others to obey Christ, if the greatest good in our life is faithfulness and obedience to Christ then we're going to love others well by helping our brothers and sisters in Christ love Christ well. We're going, to, we're going to love them well by helping them obey Christ. So we show Christ-like love when we correct sin in humility. We can't have true biblical love and fellowship without gentle correction. Love and fellowship must be accompanied by Gentle correction. The text today is difficult to do. It's a difficult text to apply. It's not difficult to hear, but it's difficult to do. It's one of those easy to say, harder to do texts. So let's decide now. Right now, let's decide together, before we get into the text, that we will be doers of the word. Is that something that you can do? Can you trust God enough to say that whatever comes next in Galatians, I will obey? That's, that's got to be our starting place together. That we're not judging the text by how comfortable it is for us or how it matches up with preconceived notions, but that we're coming to the text opened, saying, God, I will submit to you. And I will do. I will do what you say, not just hear what you say. So let's, God, let's ask God for help in this. Would you, would, you, would you pray with me? Father, we know that we have a great need for you. That we... We read in Galatians 5 that we've crucified, crucified our flesh with sinful desires, but God, even as we've crucified it, we're still putting it to death, waiting on you to redeem us, to be with you forever. God, and while we're in this flesh, we tend so well to disobedience. God, I ask that because of your strength, because of your spirit in us as your children, God, that you would give us 
strength, not on our own capacity, but in yours to obey. That as we read the word today, that we wouldn't read it coldly, we wouldn't read it as meant for someone else or something else, God, but that we would realize that your word is living and active. Help us to approach this text with soft hearts, ready to surrender. We love you so much. Thank you for loving us first. Praise pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you read along with me in Galatians chapter 6? Here's what God's Word says. Brothers, or brothers and sisters here, it's written to, to the believers in the church. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. In in verse 1 of chapter 6, there's a call for us to gently restore each other. We're called to gently restore each other. The parts of this command are clear in in verse 1. First, he he calls them brothers, siblings, brothers and sisters. We don't have time to correct everyone, church. Look, if you spend your time correcting everyone, you will be exhausted and you will exhaust everyone. That ends up being called division. It ends up being called foolishness. There's only so much time in your day, and there's only so much time in your life. And Paul is setting the example for us that here, this is for those in Christ, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, focus on those who claim Christ in your local church. If you're trying to figure out who to correct, look, there's plenty of people with bad theology in the world, and we should be careful to avoid it. And we should be careful to correct others who are falling to it, falling prey to it. Spend time thinking about those around you. We can, I mean, don't, don't you feel this in a social media context that we can exhaust so much energy worrying about people who we'll never meet and never talk to and never read our comments? <laughs> it's like, focus here. Focus on those who you are in community with. Proverbs 9.8 supports this idea of, of coming to those who are believers. It says, do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Wisdom comes from the Lord, church. So we, we should be eager to correct those who, I say eager, patiently eager <laughs> to correct those who are believers. We should be very cautious as we correct those who don't know Christ. The, the, the Spirit doesn't live inside of them. They're not being redeemed. There's no fruit coming from them. So we should be extra cautious. We should expect those who are far from Christ to act far from Christ. doesn't mean we just give everything to the world and say, well, we expect all this sin to happen. This means be extra cautious. Spend the time gently restoring to those in the church. This is meant for those in the church, those who are in the Lord's wisdom. When a wise man then finds himself caught in sin, caught in transgression, as the text says, he will desire correction. That's hard for us, but that should be true of the one following after Christ is that our prayer would be more that we don't dishonor Christ than we even just survive one more day. 
I mean, how, how, how radical is the prayer that God take me before I dishonor you? But isn't that somewhat what we would hope? That our lives would just be a long trajectory of obedience and honor to God. And that if our life was to be an embarrassment and dishonor to God, that we would rather not be, we would rather not be. We would rather be with Christ. But here's the thing. If God's got you here, it's because he wants you here. He wants to be restoring you. We keep fighting on. We keep pursuing Christ. So be wise. Be wise. Desire correction. Desire reproof. Notice this too. We don't have to correct every sin. The hope is that Christians are quickly repenting from sin. That we're not getting caught in it. Not being trapped in it. We don't need to correct someone who has already repented. Right? We find someone who is remorseful, who has turned from sin, and we encourage that repentance. We say, great job. Keep pushing after God. We get to be encouragers. And this is where the church can easily fall into judgment. It's where we've been easily accused and rightfully accused of judgment. We find someone who has repented of sin, and we just keep piling on correction and judgment on top of correction and judgment. It's like it's not good enough that you've turned back to Christ. It's not good enough that you're saying, I'm pursuing Christ and I'm rejecting that. We keep bringing up old sins. It's like, church, we should be the ones encouraging on. So we're so glad. You're doing a great job pursuing Christ. Instead of forgiving, oftentimes Christians can hold guilt over each other's heads. And that can never be the goal of correction. The goal of correction is always restoration. The goal of correction is always restoration. So God's word says, you who are spiritual or or here, those who are mature in their faith, that's what he's getting at. Those who are mature in their faith should restore him, the, the person who is in sin, caught in sin. They should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. That we see someone in a pattern of sin where it's like you're you're not walking away from it. You're not repenting from it. That you're enjoying sin. You're rejecting Christ in your life. And we restore him in a spirit of gentleness. I want to give you a visual depiction. Well, I I think this verse looks like visually. Um, It's it's a man on a a tightrope. And he's like way up high. Do you have that one for me, Jake? Anyway, the visual depiction of this verse is a man. Yeah, I think sometimes correction is like this. It's walking a tightrope. Because you want to be gentle enough where it's not just judgment and and harshness. But you also want to be firm enough that it's not excusing sin. And those can be very hard things to balance. That we're coming with gentleness and we're also coming with firmness to say, look, you, you have to turn from sin. On one side, you can be so soft, you don't actually correct. On the other side, you can be so harsh that you aren't gentle, so then now you are in the wrong. When someone needs your correction, it's so important then, if this is true, I mean, if, this is, if, if it is a hard line to walk of correcting someone, here's the first step of correction. It's prayer. How are you going to walk this? I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that by myself. That's crazy. Our first step in correction is, is prayer. We go to God and we ask for understanding. We ask for wisdom. We ask for him to provide for us the words to say. We ask him that he would help us remain gentle and kind. 
Ask for the Spirit then to help and to work ahead of you and in you. That you're not correcting out of your own anger. That you're not correcting out of your own self-righteousness. Here's an important truth about correction. You can't gently correct from a distance. You can't gently correct from a distance. The, the instructions for correction in Matthew 18, for when someone sins against you, are clear about this. In Matthew 18, verse 15, Jesus is giving instructions on how we restore relationships, how, how we help people return to following after him. In Matthew 18, verse 15, this is what he says. If your brother sins against you, send him a text message and hope it gets better. Post a passive-aggressive post on Facebook or Twitter and hope he gets the message. No, it's not at a distance. It's not at a distance that we correct each other. He says, go. Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Go be intimate with a friend and say, look, here is the wrong you have done. Here's where you need correction. If he listens to you, what happens? You have gained a brother. How sweet that is. You see the goal there? The goal is not guilt. The goal is not shame. The goal is brotherhood. It's fellowship. It's enjoying presence and agreement with one another. Can't, you can't correct gently by text or email or through proxy, through someone else. Here's a biblical imperative for you. There's a biblical imperative right here in Matthew 18 for you to create rhythms of hospitality. I mean, get good at inviting people into your spaces. If you never have close conversations and meaningful conversations close with people, it's going to be hard for you to be in a pattern where you can accept or give correction. So get, get in rhythms of hospitality. Get good at inviting people into your times, into your calendars, into your spaces. Get good at inviting yourself into other people's spaces. I'm more and more convinced of this. That you can't be faithful to Scripture without being hospitable. You can't be faithful to Scripture without hospitality. And you cannot correct gently without being hospitable. And you can't correct gently without being with each other. So get in the habit before you need it (laughs) of hospitality so that when the time comes, you're able to correct someone gently. I want you right now to think of a way you can show hospitality this week as a challenge. I'm not asking you to correct someone this week. (laughs) I'm asking you to show hospitality this week. What does that look like in your life? Everybody's schedule is different. Everybody's life is different. Everyone's calendars are crazy. You're making time. How are you going to make time this week? Just a challenge. How can you make time this week for hospitality? And not just how, who. Who could you show hospitality towards this week? Who could you engage with and share of yourself and share of your space with someone else? We can be in the habit of loving others with our hospitality so that when the time comes for correction, will be in good practice. And when that time comes, the text warns us, God warns us here, to watch yourself. When you correct and restore someone, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. That's what he says here in Galatians 6, verse 1. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. 
Don't ever for a second get to thinking that you're untemptable. That you're above sin. I mean, sin is attractive. Otherwise, we'd all be perfect, right? If sin was as ugly as it actually is to us, we'd all be perfect. We'd all reject it because we'd see its death and destruction and chaos. But sin on the outside has this beautiful facade and it's so attractive. If we walk into a situation believing that sin is not dangerous, then it is very dangerous. The most dangerous place to be is thinking that you're not prone to a certain sin. When sin doesn't seem dangerous to you, that's when it's the most dangerous. So how can you keep watch on yourself? If he's telling us here, keep watch on yourself, what does that mean? How do we do that? How do we practically keep watch on ourselves? Well, it's not something that we only do when we're correcting sin. We should be watchful at all times. That's the call from Colossians. That's the call Jesus gives in, uh, to the, to the uh, disciples as he's going to pray. He's like, keep watch. We're supposed to be watchful people in these last days, keeping watch over ourselves. Well, here's, here's three things. I'm going to give you three things, three ways to keep watch over yourself. Submit to Scripture, which we're already practicing today, right? We're sitting under the teaching of Scripture. This morning, by sitting here, you're agreeing to the authority of Scripture over your lives. That's what I hope you're agreeing to. You might be sitting right now in rebellion against Scripture, but my hope is that as you're sitting here, you're saying, yes, I want to be in submission to Scripture. But are you doing that outside of Sunday mornings? Like, is that a real pursuit for you to submit to Scripture? I, I'm saying here, pursue submitting to Scripture. Give, give, give the Bible a place in your life. That God's Word is speaking over you and in you and through you. And that you're saying, whatever it says, I will do. Whoever it commands me to be, I will be. Submitting to Scripture. Submitting to prayer. That you give yourself into prayer. I was very convicted of this this week. And this is just, this is me. I don't know, I don't know how you guys are. Y'all might be different on this. But for me, a problem arises and I think, how can I fix it? And I can send 10 text messages and I can call all the right people and I can arrange all the right things and it'll get fixed. And God never came into the, to the thought process. I did it, God. How good am I? We need to be submitting to what God's given us in prayer. That we're saying, God, we need your help. We can't fix these things. We can't truly fix the needs that people have in their heart. Because the true, the true problem is sin. We can't fix sin. Only God can fix that in people's lives. So submit to prayer. Pray like crazy. Like your life depends on it. Like you're in spiritual battle. And then submit yourself to each other. Submit yourself to each other. This, this may be the hardest one. Submit yourself to each other. It's hard because we don't create the opportunities for this. We don't build relationships for this. You may not know who you could even submit yourself to right now. Who in your life has the ex- access to your life to say hard things to you? Does anyone even know you well enough that you could confess sin to them? Or that they would know your sin? I mean, some of us are so good at lying and hiding that we don't give access to anyone. Not real access. So we need to be submitting ourselves to each other. At Provision Church, we talk about this as D groups. It's just a a title we give to this process. The Bible calls it discipleship. That's why we call it D groups, discipleship groups. It's just a small group 
of same-gendered people who are calling each other to deep relationships. that They might be open with each other, giving access to one another to speak in and call them out on sin. Because the truth is that not everybody in this room needs to know all your sins. You don't need everybody in this room correcting you. But you do need someone able to correct you. So D groups are a great way to give structure to that in your life. That you know who it is and they know who they are. I can tell you who it is in my life. And I hope there's some guys who can tell you I'm it in their life. I wonder who is it in your life that can speak into you? And who are you able to speak into? You should be on both ends of that. So D groups. I want to recommend D groups to you. It's iron sharpening iron. It's a small, trusted group of friends. You may not start out as small and trusted, but you grow into that together. You commit to that together. There's great confidentiality between you. There's a love for God's word between you. That's the bond. There's a love for Christ, his cross, his empty grave. There's an there's a accountability in that to our lives as we pursue Christ and to our Bible reading, to our prayer lives. We give each other that information and they can keep watch with you. And if you don't know how to get involved, you're like, that sounds good to me. I would love someone with access in my life, but I don't even know who to turn to right now. I don't even know where to go. We've got a guy. His name's Shannon. <laughs> He's great. We love Shannon. Shannon, I, I don't, we don't normally do this. In camera, you won't be able to see this. That's fine. Shannon, will you like hold your hand up? If y'all don't know Shannon, that's Shannon Deaton. He's great. He's our discipleship pastor, and he can help you plug into a D group. He can help connect you. And he goes to connection point usually after the service. He's out there. So if you're interested in a D group, take a risk. Have great courage. Go to Shannon and say, I'm interested in a D group. And that might be completely out of your nature. Do it today. Why not? Have what the Bible calls you to have. People who are willing to correct you. D groups are a great, great way to do that with great tools and resources for that. It's in settings like these, like these D groups, that we're able to obey, obey then verses 2 and 3. Look with me at verses 2 and 3. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. If I can summarize verses 2 and 3, I would summarize, summarize it this way. Gladly bear each other's burdens. Gladly bear each other's burdens. Have you ever seen someone do a job that they thought they didn't deserve? Like they were, they had a job that they were blessed with. Like this is, I, I don't know what I'd do if I didn't have this job. I love being here. That, 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 that type of situation. I mean, they work hard. They go above and beyond. They want to prove they're grateful. Those people are a joy at work. That's, those people as believers are the ones who are so clearly worshiping God in their work, right? I mean, that's what you want to see for believers, even when they think that they've got a job they do deserve, is you want to see this like spirit of worship that I'm glad to be here because God's given me to this place, right? All right. Have you ever seen someone then do a job that they thought they did deserve, that they felt like entitlement to, where it's like, I just, just, I should get a paycheck just for standing here, (laughs) just for sitting in my cubicle. I deserve payment, I mean, they, they do enough maybe to get by, maybe not even that. They don't put team above self. What I really think this gets down to is not laziness or effort. I think what that really gets down to is humility versus pride. That if we have the humility of understanding that we, we don't deserve anything, that we have to earn everything, that puts us in a different place to see life like a job. But if we're prideful to think that we deserve everything... <laughs> 
Well, that completely changes how we treat our employers, or even our friends, our friendships. We can treat them worse because they'll always be there. I deserve it. When we have humility, we see our place in relationships and in employment. I think humility, maybe more than anything, makes you hungry in that environment, in the work environment. Humility makes you hungry. It makes you willing to serve others and do menial tasks. Verses 2 and 3 are a continuing call to humility. Verse 1 is a call to humility. Verses 2 and 3 is a continuing call to that type of humility. If anyone thinks he is something, he deceives himself. Hey, do you want to be encouraged today, church? (laughs) You are nothing. (laughs) I almost didn't put that in there. That's not what you came to church today to hear. But look at James 4.14. In James 4.14, he says, What is your life? What a question. The college students right now on Tuesday nights are studying Ecclesiastes. It's a beautiful question to go right along with Ecclesiastes. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Isn't that so encouraging? Glad you got that nugget today. You can ride on that all week. But it is encouraging. I, I'm kidding, but I'm not kidding. That's so, that, should be, that should be so encouraging for us. And, and here's why. This is the basis for your humility. Humility is really just seeing yourself rightly. It's just seeing yourself correctly. Whatever worth you have then, if you're seeing yourself correctly, Whatever worth you have in life is found in Christ. And that's good news. Because if your worth comes from somewhere other than Christ, you have to keep earning that worth. People can take it away and give it to you. That is a hard game to play. Some of you have been playing that game for a long time. And your parents give you worth. And your friends give you worth. And your teachers or your coaches give you worth. Or the type of car you have gives you worth. Wouldn't it be nice if the place that you found your great worth and value in life was from a Savior who laid his life down for you, loves you so dearly that he stepped down from heaven to save you? Wouldn't it be beautiful if that was the foundational place of your worth and value? So when you hear the Bible say, hey, don't deceive yourself, you're nothing, that's so encouraging. Because Jesus died for you. Nothing is not too small for the God of the universe to love you deeply. It's actually just right. He didn't come to save the healthy. He didn't come to save the somethings. He came to save the nothings. He came to save the hurting. He came to save the humble, those who recognize their great need. takes so much weight off of our shoulders to be proving our worth and value. Your worth and value is in Christ. So humble Christian. (laughs) That's the call. Christian, be humble. From this place of humility and from this place of freedom, shoulder the burdens of others with them. If you're free, if you're free in Christ, 
then you're free to shoulder the burdens of others with them. But the goal of your shouldering isn't to keep it on yourself. It's to help hand that burden over to Christ. It's to lay it at the foot of the cross. And I wonder if Simon of Cyrene was on Paul's mind. I don't know if you know the story. Do you know the story from Mark 15? Where Jesus is carrying his cross to the hill where he's going to die. And the soldiers have a guy from the crowd help him carry his cross. Simon. Jesus had already been beaten and abused. He'd already been whipped. The weight of the cross and the distance of the walk was too much. So they made a man from the crowd carry his cross for him. Brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters, we are surrounded by people who feel beaten and abused by their sin. The beating Jesus took was not just for that moment. It was to be a great picture for you for what sin does. It is death on you. It is destruction on you. And they can't do this alone. They need our humble help. They need our correction, but not just correction. It's not just correction here that Paul's calling for. It's not just correction that God's calling for. It's a shoulder. It's our time. It's our effort. It's our tenderness. It's our kindness. It's our patience. It's our gentleness that he's calling for. Don't lift Galatians 6, 1, 2, and 3 from the rest of the, of the book. He's calling for this life marked by the Spirit to be gently coming along correcting brothers and sisters. Shouldering burdens with them. The Christian life is not individualistic. It can't be. You can't read the Bible and come to the conclusion that you can do this by yourself. That apart from the body of believers that you can obey God well. You can't. To read and submit to Scripture means that we have to be in Christian community. We have to be in fellowship with others. You can't obey Christ and reject His church. You can't obey Christ and reject others. The only way you can fulfill the law of Christ is to bear each other's burdens. Look at the text. Look at Galatians 6. In fact, look at Galatians 5. I mean, what is the law of Christ? We find that in Galatians 5.14. It says, for the whole law, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's the law of Christ. His law is love. And you can't love your neighbor from a distance. You can't love your neighbor from the heights of your self-righteousness. You can't love your neighbor without the possibility of getting hurt. And this is just the cost of obedience. It's the path of Christ. He's endured hurt after hurt from you. So if you love Jesus, if you're filled with the Spirit, you will gladly, not begrudgingly, you will gladly bear the burdens of your brothers and sisters. Because Jesus gladly bore your burden. Think about it. We can, we can only bear burdens in part. We can't know whole histories. We can't be inside of hearts and minds. We can't know. We can only bear in part, but Jesus 
bore your burden in full, in whole. He knew it all. He took it all. Your sin was too great for you to fix. If you're not a Christian, you know this. If you're, not, if you're a Christian, you do know this. If you're not a Christian, you also know this. Your sin is too great for you to fix on your own. You can't escape your sin and its consequences on your own. Every attempt then outside of Christ just entrenches you deeper into sin. But one came who knew no sin. Jesus came. He took your sin on himself and he died on a cross in your place and he took your sin and your consequence of death so that you could be with him forever. So that you could fellowship with him. All the weight of your sin that is crushing you right now, a way has made for you to drop it. A way has been made for you to lay it at the feet of Jesus and to enjoy his freedom and his life. He calls you to repent and believe. Lay down those idols. Lay down those burdens. Don't hold them any longer. Rejoice in the salvation of your Savior. Call on him. Tell him your great need. Tell him you want his salvation, the work he has done for you. And Christian, you need that too. It's so easy for us to lay down our sins, to take the, take the salvation of our Savior. And then day by day, we start picking back up all of our shame. We start loading it back on our shoulders. and Saying, yeah, this is on me. This is on me. Christ has taken it. You need to remember your freedom in Christ. You're how good his freedom is. Once we're saved, our work does matter to God. He desires our obedience. As people saved by grace, we continue on in that grace to good works. Look at verse 4. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. So this is really saying to test yourself. Or another way to say that is grade yourself. Grade yourself. Do you know why we alliterate? I don't know if you're taking notes, but we alliterated today. Here's why. We, I don't always do it, but here's why, here's why we try to. It's to help you remember, right? I mean, like, here's how I remember the points from today's sermon. There's gently correct, there's gladly bear, and there's grade yourself. So it's just like, it's easy to remember when you put them in those phrases. So I hope this isn't just a text that you're coming in today and leaving forgetting. I hope it's a text that you ruminate on. That's why in our life groups we go back over the text, is that we want it to, to dive deep. We want you to consider it and continue considering it. So here it is. Grade yourself. Understanding verse 4 within the context of salvation is imperative. Here, Paul's not calling for us to boast in ourselves for salvation. Remember, salvation is by grace through faith, not by works, so that no man can boast. We should be proud of our obedience, though. Like healthy, healthy pride in our obedience. Think about it like a child showing his artwork to his dad. You may have a kid running out of kids' church today holding a picture that they've drawn for you wants to show you it. Or what about a kid who's cleaned their room and wants to take you into the room to show you how clean their room is? There's some, there's some goodness in that. Look, I'm obeying. Look, I want to please you. Look, is this pleasing to you is really the question there. Hopeful that it is. Even that isn't in our own power. It's not in our own strength, but it is 
It is ours. It's not someone else's. It's the Spirit working in us. We love to please our Heavenly Father. So this boasting isn't self-promotion. It's enjoying obedience. How do you enjoy obedience? If you enjoy obedience, wouldn't that somewhat look like boasting? Man, look, God, I love, I love being within your design. I love following after your will. That sounds pretty boastful, man. (laughs) You're a sinner too. Yeah, I'm a sinner, but look, like, it's so good to be in his will. It's so good to follow and fellowship with him. We know that no one else can be disobedient or obedient for us. It's important, church. You can't rely on anyone else for your salvation or your obedience. I only answer for myself. And that's, again, a relief. Paul is encouraging regular self-accountability here in verse 4 and 5. We need to be introspective and open to the Spirit's correction. We should ask ourselves how we've been doing in our efforts at obedience. I mean, have, you, have you stopped and considered? Have you turned off the noise for a second? Have you rested for a second so that maybe the Spirit could be working in you, bringing things to memory, helping you understand where you might be in disobedience or obedience, where you've been pleasing Him or displeasing Him? We need those times. We need silence. We need solitude. We need to be introspective. It's easy to start thinking, well, only if I had this person doing this for me, then I could stop sinning. I'd stop this pattern. If only I had this person doing this thing. Or I really need this from person A or person B. There's not doing this for me and it's causing me to do this. Here's the thing. Each has to bear his own load. I mean, we're, we're called to shoulder each other's burdens, but you can't use that as an excuse for your own sin. You're going to bear your own burden. You're going to bear your own load. You have to put the weight on your own two feet. I mean, here's the main idea. Remember this. We show Christ-like love when we correct sin in humility. That's the main idea. That's what we're coming from. We show Christ-like love and we correct sin in humility. And sometimes it's our own sin we need to correct. Sometimes it's our own sin we need to correct. Look at Matthew 7. If you've got your Bibles, you can flip here and you can, you can even leave your spot in Galatians. This is where we're ending. Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be in verse 3. This might be a familiar passage to you. Even if you're not familiar with the Bible, this might be a familiar passage to you. And we'll start with verse 3. Matthew chapter 7, verse 3. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log that is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. The first step to correcting your brothers and sisters in humility is prayer. The second step is making sure you've got that speck, that log out of your own eye. Let me ask you these questions. Is there sin you need to repent from? 
Is there sin you need to repent from? If you've never proclaimed Christ as your Savior, if you've never called out to him and said that you need him as your Lord, then you need to repent from every sin. <laughs> what a good day to turn from your sin and turn to the Jesus, turn to the Savior who loves you. You can do that right now. If you're a Christian, are there sins that you've been embracing, that you've been holding on to, that, that you've glossed over, pretending they don't matter? Is there sin you need to repent from, to turn back to Christ, to see him as your great treasure and great reward? Here's, here's the next question, last one. Is there someone whose burden you need to help bear? Is there someone whose burden you need to help bear? And specifically here, there's sin in context of burden. There's a burden of sin. that It's a weight they can't overcome. I wonder if you have people in your life who claim Christ, who are living in sin, and who, who you just are sitting idly by, not taking a risk to have a conversation with. Who, whose burden do you, do you need to help bear gently? with great grace and kindness and patience. If, if you want to talk about anything from today's text, I'm going to be in the back. I'd love to talk with you. If, if you're considering, do I need Christ? How do I turn to Christ? How do I have that salvation? How do I give up my sin and just enjoy Christ who loves me? Man, I would love to talk to you. We don't really have an altar call, but... We have a back of the room where we can go and have meaningful conversation. It's kind of the idea. But look, this room is filled with Christians. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you might just tap on the shoulder of the person you came with, the shoulder of the person that's sitting next to you. You say, hey, I need to talk about this. That's awesome. And maybe, maybe, maybe you are a Christian. You need to talk to somebody. Grab someone in the pew. Come grab me. Let's talk. Let's pray together. That's what we're here for. It's not just supposed to be some stagnant moment where we come sit in some taupe, taupe colored pews and go home. We want to fellowship together, and sometimes that's talking through hard things. Let me pray with you. Father, it's hard to even think about trying to understand your goodness to us. about even in this text that you're calling us to holiness and to humility and to accountability with each other. That's kindness to us. That's your goodness to us. God, if we reject it, we're rejecting your kindness and goodness. I ask today that for everyone who sat under your teaching, the teaching of your word today, that there would be obedience to your word. That we would be eager to receive correction and that we would be gentle and willing to provide it. God, we know that all of this is possible. Our fellowship with you and our fellowship with each other and even being able to know of your kindness and goodness is possible because of your great love for us. We're grateful for for what you did for us, that you came and lived a life we couldn't live, that you died a death that we deserved, and that you didn't stay dead, you rose again. Oh, you're so good. Help us to worship in light of that truth. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.